this is Property Matters, a weekly catch-up on all matters property, supported by Fairview International Property Consultancy and auctionproperty.co.uk. Live every Sunday at 10am, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn and our website, propertymatterstv.co.uk. If you're watching on our website, leave us a Google review. And if you want to get involved in the conversation, just leave your comments in the comments section underneath wherever you're watching us today. Any topics you'd like us to discuss, and we have got some discussion programmes coming up shortly, hello at propertymatterstv.co.uk. Uh, if you don't have the time to watch us in full, of course, you can take us on the move as a podcast, an audio version of it. Of course, that's out every Monday at 10 a.m. Just search Property Matters wherever you get your um, podcasts from. Also, the show is broadcast across the week on Dilse Radio. So let's take a look at this week's property news with our property expert, Joe Joshi. Hi, Joe. Hi, Paul. Good morning. And good morning to our viewers and listeners, wherever you are. Uh, plenty to talk about in um, Property Matters. Indeed. And uh, we're starting off today with renters facing a desperate situation as tax system deters buy-to-let landlords. There's nothing new in this, and we've discussed this plenty of times, but I wanted to get to one fact that they've brought out from this uh, particular uh, piece of study that they've done here. So let's just uh, he he head straight into it, I guess. The proportion of private landlords who report increased demand for rental properties has more than tripled compared with demand for properties seen pre-COVID pandemic. This is according to independent research from the uh, NRLA, that's the National Residence, Residential Landlords Association. A study conducted by the research consultancy BVA BDRC found that 71% of landlords reported increased tenant demand in the quarter three of this year, a record high. It's up from 65% at the same time last year and up 22% on quarter three in 2019 before COVID. The survey also revealed that demand for renters is strongest in the West Midlands at 76% of landlords uh, reporting an increased tenant situation. Uh, and despite record demands, 12% of landlords surveyed said that they sold a property in quarter three. This is more than double the 5% of landlords who were confirming that they had purchased property in the same period. Simply 28% of respondents said they plan to cut the number of properties they rent out over the next 12 months. This contrasts with the 8% of landlords who plan to increase the number uh, that they let over the coming year. It does seem rather extra extraordinary, isn't it, that the, the government has managed to make it such an unprofitable business for landlords, and yet this is at a time when there's record numbers of potential customers, tenants. Yes, I mean, it's, uh, it's really quite a bit of a, a saga, if you think about it, that, um, you know, the demand for rental property is probably at the highest for some time. Um, and especially during, during the year when you find that the interest rates have gone up so much that the, that the buying opportunities have been just further and further away from first-time buyers or perhaps even investors. So the rental market is really strong, but the government have somehow managed to really scupper landlords who are desperate to get out because of taxation and because of even things like, you know, purchase costs, stamp duty, etc. All of those things are just not helping um, buyers wanting to invest into the letting market. And of course, the demand for letting is, is the highest. So, and of course the government isn't building enough houses for the rental market or for uh, social housing. So whichever way you look at it, they've managed to um, manage to snooker themselves by doing some of the silliest things possible when, you know, it's the old adage you'll hear, I suppose, why fix something that's not broke? But the problem is, I suppose they wanted to break it in order to stop the prices shooting up as they were. But whatever happens, I mean, 
we've learned and we've we've discussed on our programs that over the last 50 years prices have really gone into reverse probably about four or five times in in real essence um they're always going to go up the demand is always there and of course the supply has normally been limited but the supply is there now it's just that you know all of the um interest all the things that make people want to invest in property be it value be a capital return keep be it investment you know against how much their mortgage might be against what they could rent it out for all of that has sort of fallen by the wayside and um of course uh, uh, the government have you know didn't do anything in the last uh, autumn statement which i was expecting them to do something and maybe they're thinking that they'll do something in the spring uh, statement but I, I just think that they've left it a little bit too late in terms of um, rekindling the market for those landlords who are not in droves exiting, but the ones that just simply can't afford to keep it in, where the rental buy-to-let mortgages have become so expensive that they just need to get out. And, and unfortunately, they're, they're also in a difficult situation there because some of them are rented out at perhaps lower yields, and that doesn't make it easy for them to sell either um, because you know the next investor isn't getting a return on their investment. So we are in a bit of a crossroads at the moment. It is a bit of a no-win situation, isn't it, really, Joe? I mean, if you think about it, you have to put the interest rates up to curb people's spending to control inflation. But, of course, as a result of that, the landlords then can't afford to rent the, buy the properties to rent out to people. And then, of course, they trade those properties in. There's vast numbers of people who probably uh, maybe have bought in, been in a house uh, and then realise that they're not going to be able to afford to keep up the mortgage repayments. So they're selling the property and going into rented. That means even more people look looking for rental stock, and yet the stock is dwindling and yet the demand is going up. So by controlling inflation in one place and controlling the costs in one place, they've made rent rise through the roof. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the whole thing is a bit of a farce, in all honesty, at this moment in time. I've got landlords coming in and saying they need uh, higher rents. I've got tenants saying they simply can't afford higher rents. And landlords are at a point where they've got properties sitting there, you know, can't risk renting them out at the lower prices, knowing full well that they've actually got mortgage payments which are exceeding the potential rent. And of course, there's always that danger of renting to someone who says they can't afford it. But once they're in, there's that danger that they turn around and say they no longer can afford it. But of course, by then they are in the property. And that is just completely a different challenge. So we are at a very, very, um, precarious location in terms of what is the right thing to do um, as far as the rental is concerned. And certainly landlords that are looking to rent are finding it hard to fund it. Um, and so yes, the new norm, which is about five and a half, five and a quarter percent plus, in, uh, plus maybe a couple of percent is the buy to let market. And so you've got to calculate what your new rental is gonna be based on that payment. And if you take that payment into consideration, I mean, the average house is now creeping up to, you know, two, uh, sorry, three bedrooms, semi-detached in some areas is nearly two and a half, two thousand, between two and two and two and a half thousand pounds a month. That's before they start paying their um, commitments, their rates, the rent, uh, the, sorry, the electric, the gas and all the other sort of things. So, and food on the table. So it is, it is a, a bit challenging, but, you know, potentially they could consider a, a rate discount, uh, discount. I can't see that happening at the moment because of the way things are, they could potentially consider 
cutting stamp duty. Well, that window of opportunity is now gone until September, until spring next year. They're not going to do that. Um, I think it's just the case of balancing out what is that we can do at the moment. It is rather crazy that we've got a tax system that makes it actually more beneficial for landlords to turn those rental properties into holiday lets rather than the long-term homes to rent which people want. I mean, that just doesn't seem to add up, does it? Yeah, I mean, I, I, holiday lets are short-term lets, of course, um, but they're not always, I mean, you know, Britain is not the sunniest place in the, in the world and it's not one that's going to have lots of holiday lets. It has a seasonal time for certain things throughout the year um, and some, some of those could work but there's still void periods in that holiday let um, that could come in and when that void period comes in it then doesn't matter whether the taxation makes it viable it negates the whole thing because the void period is going to also be costly so if you're not renting it out for let's say a month well that's your month's money you know going down the pan and at the same time, maybe, you know, you might have saved that in a tax, but you just paid it out by not earning it in the first place. So really um, difficult situation. And it's not as easy as people think on short term lets either. You know, there are extra expenditures that are involved. I mean, I've spoken to a few people that do Airbnb. And whilst, you know, if they're on it full time, they could probably make a good, good return. But if they're not, then by the time they've actually costed the turnaround period, so let's say, in a week, you've had three people that turned up and rested. You've turned that property around three times with the cleaner, the sheets, all that kind of stuff, um, and someone to go around and do it and pay them. And then in all honesty, have you really uh, actually got a good return? And the answer probably is that all you're doing is washing its face and keeping somebody in employment. So there's, there's a lot of questions in that. I mean, if you're doing it permanently full time and it's, it's just what you do and you do it yourself, then yes, there's probably a good return in it. Mm. This is the figure I was getting to, actually, when I was referring to at the very beginning. Research by Capital Economics for the NRLA said that uh, removing the 3% stamp duty levy on the purchase of additional homes would see almost 900,000 new private rented homes made available across the UK over the next 10 years. As a result of increases in income and corporation tax receipts, the modelling also suggests that this would lead to a 10 billion boost to Treasury revenue over the same period. So getting rid of that stamp duty levy, which of course they've put on to anyone who's got a buy-to-let property, essentially an additional home if you like, that's going to put 90,000 um, homes back on the market per year. Now the government has said they've done something like 260,000 this year of new builds. So I mean I know that's not new builds but at least they'd have put another 90,000 uh, available homes um, onto that uh, annual achievement uh, just by taking that 3% stamp duty away. And of course, the other point is that because of the income tax receipts and the corporation, corporation tax receipts, they'll get 10 billion from another avenue. Yes, I mean, you know, again, we are playing with the numbers, but yes, the 3% stamp duty on a buy-to-let home does and has killed that market. I mean, people were doing buy-to-let flats and houses and all sorts of things. And at a sliding scale, they, they had no objection in paying, you know, the value of the stamp duty on it. But given that it's just a fixed 3%, um, come what may, on, on a second home, does kill the deal for over that period. Now, if you have a mortgage over 15, 20 years, then you spread, even if you spread the cost of that stamp duty over the same period as the mortgage period, it's just another exit that has to, you know, another cost that has to be paid. 
Um, and But the problem is it's paid upfront in a lump sum. And that's what really tends to um, kill it for most people because, you know, um, they could use that money perhaps to do a property up and refurbish it and get it out on the market as opposed to just, you know, lining the treasury's um, pockets with stamp duty money. So, yeah, there, there, there are many things that have gone wrong, in my opinion, and obviously in most people's opinion, in terms of the property market when things were going fairly well. But I've always said that they've used the property market as a yo-yo, all political colours have used the property market as yo-yos. You know, when it suits them, they will, they will make the appropriate adjustment because they know that at the end of the day, the people in the UK want to own and buy a property, want to buy that as an investment. It's one of their first loves that they, they have. Um, and so sooner or later, they'll forget and move on again. But um, unfortunately, in the short term, it does create a lot of problems. Let's move on to our second story today. Uh, this is um, looking ahead to uh, 2024. What can we predict about the housing market for next year? State agents have been told there are signs of positivity in the market for next year, but what are the variables, the tricky unknowns, which will dictate which way the market really goes? With the twists and turns of the current political economy, it's difficult uh, to basically work out what's going to happen and how it's going to shape up. Recently, Savills Research issued its forecast that the market was past peak pain with pro projections of UK house prices falling, of falling just 3% in next year. Uh, markets operate in cycles, they say, and I think next year will be the case of the agents holding on whenever you have the period of a softer market condition and a scramble for market share and more saleable stock. There is always a risk that you price high and try to work the price down over the period. Remember that your track record is determined by what you sell and your sales record, not necessarily by the amount of stock you have in the market. So there are two big variables, of course, next year, mortgage costs and a general election. And it's going to be interesting to see how they affect how next year shapes up, Joe. Yes, I mean, <laughs> it's the old story of Mystic Meg and the crystal ball, I suppose. Um, what happens next year? I mean, we are, you know, on um, on that sort of time at the end of the year now, and we're all sort of making predictions towards what, you know, 24 would do. Um, I think that, you know, the market is, is stable, but it will stay um, low turnover, quiet primarily because there are so many uncertainties. Of course, the first thing and foremost is going to be that there is an election in 2024. Um, and that means that we don't know which way it's going to turn. And it very much is that, you know, um, and whoever takes over, whether it's blues or reds, um, then they've got a five-year, four-year, five-year plan to start to see what they can do. But right now, we're all treading on eggshells, not knowing who's going to be in and what policies and what plans that they bring in into the marketplace to, to get it sort of rejuvenated. So the confidence is a little bit low. Um, interest rates having gone up uh, throughout this year has definitely put a, a stop on the, on, on the marketplace. People are finding it hard to um, uh, find the, the money to actually continue either get the deposits or even match or, or, or meet the criteria of the banks that are looking to lend to them. So those two things are probably at the highest level. Of course, the wish and the want of all people has not gone away. They, they still want to buy and they still want to have the opportunity to invest. Um, so therefore, the rental market at the moment is strong, 
But of course, we're in a chicken and egg situation there where the rental demand is high, but the supply of rental property has become low because uh, it's impossible to fund those at the levels that they are. I mean, it will obviously um, sort itself out as it always has done historically over the next couple of years, but it'll certainly be a rocky 24 in my opinion. Sanville seems to think there will be a interest rate cut next year, albeit a small one, and that that will uh, accelerate growth into 2025. But of course, they warn that if there isn't one in 24, then 25 is going to be sluggish as well as 24. It doesn't uh, bode well if uh, if we don't get some kind of cut next year. To be perfectly honest with you, I can't see them going back. Um, what they might do is do some fixed rates um and that's the way they will show their cut but from five and a quarter let's say to five percent i you know it's a possibility i've always said five percent was the marker um, and it might be that they'll they'll take it to five percent and that might be enough to rejuvenate um the interest but um uh, it, it, you know it's 2025 probably where you might start to see because whoever comes in next year will then start to settle the market and i think we'll see the real change happening in 2025 2024 i think will be just um hold your nerve as i would say mm. and you just get through it really well they're talking about the gradual restoration of a buyer's market and 2024 will all be about cash buyers they have the competitive vantage where well, we we've been saying that throughout 2023 as well and uh, there's no doubt about it if you've got the cash this is the time to invest isn't it joe well i mean when you look at that um, the market keeps indicating a reversal in in values let's say from 2018 sorry 2019 2020 21 we saw an increase in, in, the, in the values. Now we're seeing that there's a correction by maybe five or 6%. You know, this is a great time for people to invest and buy, but cash is king. And it, we're the cash people that will actually um, do the best they can in order to uh, keep the market right. So yes, you know, we'd like to see the mortgage rate come down, um, but I think it's, 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 it's a bit of a dream at this moment in time. So the possibility of a general election looms large in 2024. Um, in your view, without being necessarily too political, do you think a red <laughs> flavour will give you a better, um, uh, will be better for the property market, should I say, or a blue flavour? Mm. The, thing, the thing is that um, it's like anything, isn't it? Um, uh, they say a new broom always sweeps clean. So some change may be the right change to happen. However, um, though the Blues have been in there for 13 years, they probably now got the foundations of, of turning it around quicker for the property market than they do as the Reds. Um, the Blues have always been more supportive of the property market, whereas the Reds are probably not as supportive, though the Reds will come in and have mooted that they will, you know, um, develop and spend more money and put more money into the property market. Um, but where will they put that? We don't know. Um, you know, being into social housing, being into government property, or whether they will support the private guy. Whatever happens, whichever one it is, they need, both of them need investment and confidence in the private person. The person that, whether it's a small uh, investor who's going to buy to rent, two or three properties or the big big corporations 
but they need the small guy to continue to support that. And um, it's the question of who does that. Neither of them, in my opinion, at this moment in time, um, have got the edge over, over the other. Um, there's not a great deal of difference. I know the polls, you know, start to say that this is better and that's better, but on the day, at the moment, on the time, things can change dramatically. Um, and yes, they both got to do something to the market, but I don't think either of them have got the edge at the moment. Yeah, they're suggesting that uh, they want to kind of step into the Conservative shoes somewhat, Labour, by saying that they're going to increase the housing delivery and most of that would be at the affordable end. So what, where that will leave the private rented sector, who knows? But also on the, um, on the horizon, of course, is the renters' reform bill, which if the Reds get in, then um, that may not even happen after all this. But uh, uh, it's certainly on the statute, it's, it's being planned to be put on the statute books, and there's still a lot of um, unknowns about how these courts are going to work for people to, uh, when they haven't got any Section 21 anymore, they're going to be um, uh, wondering how they're going to be able to uh, access their properties, aren't they, landlords? Well, landlords don't want the renters reform because they are going to get stuck with with tenants in properties. And right now, um, it's probably wise that this renters reform doesn't go ahead, even though they're pressing for it to go ahead. Because, you know, if the government doesn't make the right choices of, of getting people to invest more into buy select properties, then the current tenants, sorry, the current landlords, those that cannot afford to keep the tenants in there, want the tenants to vacate so they can sell their property or get out of the rental market. As long as they have them in there, it's going to become an impossible task. So there are so many challenges uh, and I hear of them all the time throughout our business. Not only that, those that come to us for the purpose of auctioning a property um, and looking to achieve the, the level of money that they want with a tenant in it are finding it a struggling to find that somebody would want to buy that because it doesn't create a good investment. So if someone is renting a property for a, you know, a thousand pounds a month and um, the return that they're getting is, I mean, and, and um, for example, the uh, investment, uh, the buy to let mortgage is seven and a half percent, you know, a couple of percent in the return doesn't do it because by the time they've actually netted it out, they'll be hardly washing their face. Um, with the amount of borrowing that they've had to do. So it's becoming really challenging for landlords at this moment in time to um, try and, you know, sell their properties um, with the tenants in it. So they want the tenants out. And some of them are genuine. I mean, some of them are just, you know, they can't afford it. I mean, they've got a mortgage on it and it just can't happen. But if the renters reform comes in and, and they've got to go through this whole uh, scenario of getting a tenant out, then you know the next thing that will happen really is keys will get thrown in because those landlords will just turn around and say well you know you can't you're not letting them vacate you're not giving me the court order to get them out so i'll let the bank take it and then the bank has to throw those people out um so one way or another they will get there it's just it'll be sad that it'll go through all those hoops to get to that stage so right now, I think the Section 21 needs to stay. They need to give the confidence to the landlords that we're going to do things for you in the marketplace and hopefully, you know, uh, rejuvenate their interest and continue to invest. 
Our final story of the week um, is a piece by Richard Rawlings, which is quite interesting. Should estate agents help the market to fall? Um, and I just thought there was some interesting discussion points in this. Uh, if you look at uh, the training of estate agents over the years, they're always taught, of course, all about price, get the best possible price, not least because obviously the person who owns the property is going to get the best return on their property investment, but also their fee will be higher the more they sell it for. So it's obvious that it's all about price. And uh, when you think about the way that agents uh, market properties, you know, they stage homes for people, they take those fantastic photographs and uh, try and do everything they can to sort of make the property look its best to get the biggest amount of uh, money in return. And of course, what's being suggested here by Richard Rawlings is that um, as a result of fairly average properties being put on for high prices, and because over the last few years we've had a very favourable market, to their utter astonishment, those very average properties have sold at these inflated prices. And of course, that in many ways is responsible for the price inflation that we've had. Um, and unwittingly, the agents were correct in pricing the high the house that high and they got their money and of course became bullish and the whole thing started to repeat itself over and over again. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? Maybe the way that we market properties is actually part of the of the problem. Yes. Um, look, being um, in the agency world, I've always felt that um, agents and tend to sort of value and want to get get the instruction. They will value high in order to win that business. Um, sellers would like them to value high on the basis that obviously they want the best possible price. So if you are a seller um, and you invite three or four agents into your property to give you a, a market appraisal, to give you their guidance of what they believe they can get for your property or what the market will actually get for it, then you're always gonna have a few that will come in and say, well, let's say one is says it's 340,000, the other one will say, well, actually, I can get it for 345. And there'll be one who will come and say, nah, nah, they're totally talking rubbish. We can get 360,000 for it. So, of course, you know, as a seller, you're, you're tempted to say, well, okay, well, if you think we can get 360, there's no harm. And so the seller then says, well, actually, why don't we put it on 369.50? You know, let's add another 10 on top of that. Um, and so, you know, that, that sets the new barrier for that particular market. The problem is that those agents, when they've taken it on, are not very good at managing that. So it's great joy when somebody says, I've got the instruction, they come back to the office, we got that on, we knocked out four other agents, we're the best, blah, 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 it goes on. And then we come to the reality. The reality is that if you got it right, I always say that you're going to, if you got the price right within the first 10 days, you're going to find a buyer. Um, and after that, it's just a hope and a prayer. Um, but what happens is they've got it, they've locked somebody into it. And so now everybody else in that street starts to say, well, if they've got it on for 369, mine must be worth 375. And hence the prices continue to go out. What they're not good at doing and what Rawlings is saying is they're not good at managing those by saying, actually, um, this is what the market does. This is what we felt it was doing. This is what kind of offers we're getting. And we think that you need to consider a figure that may be not at 369.950, but closer to what I said, which we might be 355 or 357 or 360 or whatever that might be, and actually bring in some sort of reality. 
they just can't do it because they don't want to go backwards. And that's where he says maybe agents can actually drop the prices down um, and, and, and reverse it. Well, they can only on the basis if the vendors are taught that way. And vendors are not taught that way. They're not, they're not shown that, that reduction and they're not shown that, that method. Um, and so they stick on the market and they stay on the market until such times as somebody else goes in. And then another competitor goes in and says to them, well, actually, that was too much money. I don't know why you gave it to them. They drop it by the £10,000. And the next thing you know, you might have a sale on it. Um, it's just, it's a hard, it's always been the same. And I often find, and, and I find it now more so than I probably have done in years, that, you know, when you get somebody else like an auctioneer to come in and, and, and give a reality check, most people are actually quite open to a reality check. They, they, they accept that. But the problem is the agent that they instructed is kind of hiding, hiding behind the fact that he said he would do it and now he can't. So he doesn't want to take the call. And, and so the property stays on the market forever and then it gets, a, you know, stale because it's not sold at the price. They're suggesting now that as a result of all of this, that uh, most uh, homeowners regard their property as much as an investment as they do as a home. <clears throat> and they've also found a new research from Quick Move done in November of this year, that, uh, that um, most homeowners believe their property is worth 15% more than the evaluation given by a responsible estate agent. So that's an interesting statistic. So they're expecting it to be 15% more than a sensible valuation. Yes, because the expectation has been put in there um, time and time again. I, I always say that the, the real umpire in our game of cricket, for what it's worth, in, in terms of the agency, is the valuer, is the valuer who comes in and says to the lender, that they believe that it's worth X. So let's say you've had it on at £369,000. The value comes in and says it's only worth three fifty-five. Then as far as the, you know, the marker is concerned, that's what it's worth. That's what the, the bank's going to lend on. And that's where it is, in some ways, in, 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 a, in a bizarre way, it's almost worth saying, well, let's get the value in first and see what they're going to say, because that's what it is. But that's not true either, because each value that comes in has a different opinion on their comparables as to what they find as to what they feel that it might be worth so it's just a motion that you've got to go through until such times as you find it but there is you know when we when i go back in in history there was a time when you could almost you know lick your finger and, and stick it in the air and think oh well it's worth x um it's not the case now there's so much data available of what has sold and what hasn't? Even the private owners can actually access that data. It's not something. It's not secret data anymore. Um, and you would know realistically that you are absolutely, you know, talking rubbish when you come up with this astronomical figure, knowing full well that, you know, everyone else is going to compare it to the figure that actually has been achieved. Now, there's always a margin of error. One could say there's a five or ten percent margin of error either way but it's not going to be at the levels that sometimes the people's expectations are. The 15, 20% above the marketplace is not where it's going to be. I hadn't thought about this, actually, but Rawlings makes a very good point, is if you exclude investors and developers where their, profit, their, their focus is profit, most regular sellers, their primary objective is need, not money. 
And so they're talking about, for example, um, if you've, uh, you know, if you're suddenly um, you've got a baby on the way, you're going to need more space, for example. Or if you're a career climber, you need to move house for, for a new job in another area, um, for example. So for these people, or a person in debt, for example, they need to move home before it's repossessed. Um, those are kind of um, situations where it's all about need. And then secondly, not even money then, but timing because they've got to get out at a certain time. So the money is never really, for a genuine seller, excluding investors and developers, the, the genuine person moving house is because they have a need, uh, and they need that and that has to be done within a certain time frame. The money surely allows that to happen, but the money is not normally the motivator, and yet the agent focuses constantly on the price. Yes. So going back again, back in the 80s, when one was looking to sell a house or, or sell a house on behalf of a client or, or introduce it, we were always looking at the reasons for their sale. So, you know, the reason was always based on, on, on the questions that one was asking. So let's say we could say to them, well, you know, what is the reason for your move? And they might say, well, actually, I'm moving because of my job. I'm relocating. So we know that that is a reason for it. You know, what, you know, when do you want to move by? Well, I've got to move by a certain time because I'm going to, you know, so those are all of the scenarios that existed. So we always sold houses for the reason. There's a big social move back then. When the um, buy-to-let came into the marketplace, that changed the game. It was the buy-to-let that changed the game for ordinary folk um, because they then started saying to themselves, well, actually, I need to, to move because of those things. But there's another right aspect, and that is I'm buying this property to rent, and now I'm thinking about investment. I'm thinking about my return. I'm thinking about, you know, am I going to get more money if I sell this with the tenant? Am I going to get more money if I do it up and, and do it? So this new whole new option of buy to let, when that came in, that then changed the reasons why, and that's when agents started to focus perhaps more on the monetary side thinking, well, actually investors and people I want to know that they are getting a, a return on their investment and we need to share with them, look, XYZ sold for this much money and if you buy it now at this price, you know if you spend £20,000 on it, in the next two, three years time, you're going to get the 20000 plus another 20000 back. Where are you going to get that return? So the game changed in terms of what it is. But reality-wise, house moving, home moving or home hunting was based on needs and their circumstances. Final point from Rawlings, he suggested if we help the market to soften somewhat and help people move, more people will move, agents will get paid quicker and there'll be more money in the pot for everybody. It's an interesting point. Well, I think that um, I, I would love to, um, you know, have Rawlings come in and talk to some of the agents that we try and talk to <laughs> as all it is. Um, and educate them through that vehicle by saying that, you know, they could. And a lot of agents struggle with properties that they've taken on the market. They don't actually get any interest on it and are shy in perhaps, you know, engaging with auctioneers so that they can actually work with them and collectively still achieve the goal. Um, and, and what we have to do is we have to get a reality check with the clients and we, we just tell them that basically if it's not going to be X, Y, Z achieved, then it's better that you keep it stay because you don't want to be spending your time energy and money on something that actually we know is not going to sell 
That's it for this week. Time has beaten us. Next week, we've got a questions week where we're going to answer questions from viewers so or listeners, of course. Uh, if you'd like to send them in, it's hello at propertymatterstv.co.uk. Looking forward to that next week on Property Matters.